the streets will remember i'm hani jabber i'm justin salhani how are you today justin yeah man i'm doing pretty good how about yourself yeah not too bad that's the first time we've played the music off air we don't get to listen to that song before we start the podcast obviously because we usually edit it in but it's got me going it's got me really excited yeah you're hyped for a saturday morning recording session well it's saturday night for me so but yes no i am i'm very hyped for it especially because I'm really excited. It's been a big week for women's football in Australia. So I'm pretty excited about today's subject as well. But before we get into that, what's going on? What's new? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that the Australia got the Women's World Cup. Australia and New Zealand joint co-hosts yes. 2023. Yes, big news out of Australia. The big thing that happened was the English FA didn't vote for Australia. So that's been a bit of a political shitstorm. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I was kind of interested or like let's say intrigued about it going to Colombia. I think that would have been a really cool experience but you know I am I am excited for for you and for Australia. Oh you'll I mean you'll come down it'll be a good time we'll get on the beers. Oh man so I guess in other news I got to play football again a couple days ago for the first time in over three months and I just want to let everybody who's listening know football is fucking tiring. Yeah yeah especially the way you play it because you don't stop trying to score goals and do moves and stuff like really fancy things that was nicer than i expected uh um, i'll leave the insults for later like i've been working out a lot trying to stay fit during lockdown Mm -hmm. but football is something else and now i know what it's like when people who don't play football go out and try to play football it's it's tiring here's the thing right like you've got you've had all these professionals right like arsenal three injuries in like two games you sit there and you go, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, football is really, really tiring at our level. But imagine these pros, they've been in like proper lockdown in the UK and they're like trying to stay fit and they're doing their programs or whatever the hell the coaches have given them. But then they're coming back and it's like competitive football. They're trying to qualify for the Champions League and they're all like breaking. Yeah, they're dropping <laughs> like flies. It's unbelievable. It makes such a difference. It makes such a difference to be able to stay fit and continuously maintain that and compete at that, like, at that level where everyone's literally fighting for a position on the pitch. Well, one of the really interesting things about it today, athletes perform at such a high level. Like we try to get every little bit out of them, right? Professional footballers have nutrition trainers to work on their, to work on their muscles. They're getting massages. So they're operating pretty much at full tilt their entire careers, which is crazy. Cause you basically, if every player on the field is at 110%, I mean, that's just going to wear down your body, right? And so, you know, the way that we play, the level that we play at, and generally anyone who's not a professional is playing at, you cannot be at full fitness. But if every player on the pitch is at absolute full fitness all the time, you're operating at levels that are not really sustainable for the human form. And this is why a lot of times footballers later on in life, they don't walk right or they can't sit down for too long because their knees lock up or all these other sort of crazy things. I'll be interested to see the stats. I mean, we'll probably get this over the next 10 years or something, but like the longevity of football players, the physical stresses they're putting on their body now, whether players can stick around till they're 37, 38, like they used to, like how many, how many legends can we think of that? Like, you know, continue to play at like a lower level um, until they were pretty much unable to walk. I don't know if that's going to continue to happen with some of these younger guys, because they seem to be fizzling out at about 30 now, 
rather than fizzling out at like 33, 34, as you would have seen with like, you know, the, the older generation. I was thinking a lot about this, you know, and you look at a guy like, well, take, if you take the cream of the crop, you know, you take the Zlatans, you take the Messi's, you take the Ronaldo's, the guys who are still in their kind of mid to late thirties and still operating at a very high level. They've lasted much longer. These guys, it's not to say they didn't ever suffer injuries, but they've been able to last a lot longer and stay fit a lot longer and extend their career at a, very, at a top level, operating at a high level for longer. And I think a lot of that comes down to how professional their staff is. Rio Ferdinand talks about how even when he was in his early 20s, Cristiano had a whole staff at his house telling him what to eat, telling him how to train. The interesting thing here is there's a wealth gap. So Messi and Ronaldo make a fuck ton load more money than probably everybody else. How much of that money is going towards a full staff that's telling him how to eat, how to train, how to sleep? And I think this is a good chance to kind of segue into the figure that we're covering today, because on the men's side of the game, you have these top level players who are just getting incredible levels of money that allows them to stay at the top of the game for much longer and operate with security and, and comfort. Middle players and, and players that aren't at the top, as well as pretty much anybody on the women's side of the game doesn't have this. And in terms of professionalism, we want to talk about someone that's been professional, that's sort of sustained their career to that point. You've got to mention Marta, and that's who we're talking about today. What are your finest memories of Marta? So Marta Vieira Gesilva. So my memories of Marta, look, I'll be honest with you. I think my memories of women's football in general has been, I guess, news headlines and major events, except for probably the last year and a half where, you know, the Women's World Cup in 2019, the Matildas in Australia are actually the second most recognized sports brand after the men's cricket team. That's because Sam Um, was probably the best footballer you guys have ever had. Probably. You're absolutely right. You know, the, the interest here is, is remarkable around women's football. That's where sort of my interest has sort of been a bit more generated, I guess. And my memories of Marta specifically have been around pretty much like those Ronaldinho type uh, highlight reels on YouTube and so on. She's probably the only women, woman footballer that I've ever looked up highlights of, um, like skill highlights, if that makes sense. And in a way, that's really upsetting, but also in a way it's amazing because she is incredible i think she's somebody who i've had my eye on for a long time because i've seen those those highlights from when she was in her you know early 20s i mean obviously she broke out on the scene when she was in her teens so there's kind of like a a pele-esque comparison and i don't i don't think it's always fair to compare women and men footballers you know i mean you look back to some of the goals some of the great goals that she scored over time like the goal she scored against the u.s believe it was in the 2011 world cup maybe the 2007 she had that goal where she kind of took that juggle touch and just spun in a way that's like not seen before and then like you said one of the big problems we've had to follow women's football throughout our lifetime it's never been given the parody that men's football has and what do we mean by that it's never been given the media attention it's rarely been shown on tv and even when it is it's usually just the World Cup. And a lot of times, even the World Cup wasn't shown on TV or given the prominence. And I think 2019 was the first World Cup, I almost want to say the proper respect, because it was kind of hyped and brands got behind it and media companies were kind of there. It did feel a bit disingenuous, if I'm being honest. Like, it did feel like this is a great way for us to finally make some money. 
but at the same time, as long as from a media perspective, do you mean? Yeah, exactly. At the same time, it was great to see, see that happen. Now, I think for somebody like Marta, who I think was 33 and she was carrying an injury, I believe. So she's kind of like hitting the tail end of her peak and her prime. And again, I think in my opinion, she's the greatest woman footballer of all time. And arguably one of the great one of the sports greats across the board all time anyways and i think the tragedy is that even though she was the best player in the world for years she never had the stability or the financial reward or you know the recognition necessarily outside of you know the certain circles that focus on the women's game even though she was the best player in the world for many years I don't think she's ever been given the proper financial compensation or global recognition. What she's received in return just has never, to me, been enough. I want to go back to something you just said, you know, comparing the men's game and the women's game, you know, is unfair. And I think we should touch on that because it is a big, important point. So what do you mean by that? You know, there's a lot of people who can speak to this particular topic probably better than I can, but I'll say this. Any modern argument that argues against equality in terms of financial compensation for the men's game and the women's game, to me, is outdated and to me is retrograde and isn't taking history into account. Because we have to remember, women's soccer was, in many countries, was banned for years. So despite it growing, and I believe it was in the early 1900s, the sport had grown and was kind of catching on with a lot of people. And then there was this kind of sexist, retribution or or counter movement that said that women playing football was not ladylike. And so they banned the Mm -hmm. women playing the sport for many years. When you take away 50 years of development, because like go back and watch football from the sixties, from the fifties, from the seventies, from the eighties, it looks different than it does today because it's grown and it's brought knowledge. And, you know, every time that we step out on the pitch, even as amateurs, we've learned from the generations before, you know, the game, the amateur game today is different than it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And so if you've banned the development of a game for this many years and then come back and say, well, look, you're not as developed. That's why you don't make as much money because the men gets more attention because, but yeah, these clubs have developed and built and grown and the sport has grown and the federations have grown and the power structure has grown. I mean, let's put it this way. Santos dissolved their women's team when Neymar was 15 years old, just so they could afford to keep Neymar at the club from going to Real Madrid. If we can agree that maybe Lionel Messi is the greatest player of the last 20 years, he's never had want for anything financially. He's comfortable at Barcelona. He has his house, has his family, blah, blah, blah. Marta, on the other hand, is the greatest footballer of the last 20 years. Do you know how many times her clubs have gone into liquidation or have melted yeah, down? Or she's, sure. had to, she's bounced around the world, not because she's difficult or because you know, she can't find her home or she just wants to try different places. It's because literally the clubs couldn't afford to pay her or they couldn't afford to pay anybody and they just melt down. And you yeah. have to ask yourself, like, at what point is that not okay? At what point do we say, this is a top heavy issue. A, a regular woman's footballer should be able to ply her trade and live a comfortable life the way that a regular men's footballer should. But the best woman's footballer of all time cannot find stability. That's just crazy. I'm loving this. You're getting so fired up and we haven't even started talking about Marta. This is going to be good. All right, let's talk about let's talk about Marta. So she started her career at 14 uh, and started a career in Vasco da Gama. And you're right, she has jumped across a lot 
So she's played for one, two, three, 11 different clubs over a 17-year period. And a lot of those have been between Sweden, Brazil, and the US. And she's currently in the US playing at Orlando Pride. She's played in five World Cups, holds the record for the most amount of goals in a World Cup by any player, which is 17. She's also played in five of them. And to be fair, is probably one of the most skilled players I've ever seen in, in the game. And she is still extremely dynamic and very technically sound, like a really great player. She's somebody who I think will inspire anybody who's watching the game. If we look at Brazil in recent years, apart from Neymar, Brazil doesn't have the luster of, let's say, 20 years ago when the team was just littered with Ballon d'Or winners with like Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Kaká, right? And I think Marta has that aura. She has that kind of, you know, she can make anything happen. Even carrying an injury in the World Cup last year, she still had that, that ability that every time she got the ball, she lit things up. But I also really like the fact that she took a big stand. I think in last year's World Cup, I mean, when she was wearing lipstick and that was supposed to be like a feminist statement of strength and power and defining herself, she also refused a boot sponsor so that she could put the equality symbol on her shoes. And I don't know if you remember that when she would score goals, she would show off that equality symbol. She's used her platform for more than just saying, I'm a footballer and let it die with that. I guess one question I might have, and I'm, I'm interested in what you think is, you know, when you're in a situation like Marta, where you are the, the most recognizable woman footballer on the planet, do you really have a choice? Yeah, you could just go about and play your game and, and whatever. Are you in a position where you have to speak out? This is a debate I've actually had quite often. These football players that have such a great platform, like, do they have a social responsibility to stand up for something and to spread the word of whatever it is, whether it's equality, some sort of social injustice, or, you know, some sort of political position? It comes with the weight of being that famous. You've got more responsibility on your shoulders. You've got more power. And, you know, your position in society is at a different level that allows you to engage with those that will make a difference. You know, me and you could take a stand all we want about things. um, But if we're not in a giant collective that's being, you know, heard, then we're likely to have as much power. But someone that's got the money in the pull and that can rile up an entire country like Marta could if she wanted to, uh, I think does have the, the responsibility and needs to take a stand. Now, what you decide to take a stand on, that's a completely different discussion. But what Marta's decided to take a stand on, I think, is the best thing to take a stand on, which is equality for the game, motivating young girls and women to stay in the game, which I think is a massive problem. You know, women leaving the game too early. It's her responsibility to do so. And she, I think she's done such a great job of it. And I'll, there is a quote around her legacy and what she wants. We'll talk about that in the legacy section. But it is definitely something that you know, will be remembered as part of her legacy. I guess a question back to you about Brazil making these you know, Ronaldos, Ronaldinhos, the Coutinhos, Firminhos, Neymars. And Marta is very much the Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho-like, not cookie cutter, but that style of player, you know, that the lovely flair, the skill on the run, and even some of the goals you sit there and you look at and you go just like, that is that traditional Brazilian type player, you know, that everyone loved, that we around the world that didn't have a team that was going to the World Cup would support that type of style. Do you think she might be the last Brazilian footballer that has that style? Because they're not making them the way they used to. That's a great question. I'll tell you, I'll kind of tell you like an anecdote. Last year I was interviewing for some jobs in London. And, you know, I met with some football people 
we started talking about women's soccer. And one of the things I brought up was, you know, women's footballers are actually genuinely interesting people, mostly because they have to be like, they, they can't just be footballers. Like men's professional footballers today are so media trained. They're so linear in their vision because you can't really become a men's professional footballer today without completely dedicating your life to only one thing because the level is so high. Now the professionalism is so high. There's so much money coming from all angles. You know, a lot of women have second jobs. They've got great education. There's a lot going on there and, and they tend to be a lot more accessible and real too, probably as well because their quotes aren't twisted and any player at a top club knows any little word they say is going to be dotted over and twisted and turned mm -hmm. into 16 different headlines. Right. One of the interesting things I think about this is that it doesn't just go down to personalities, though personality is a big, a big thing. It's also in the way that they play, because today the European standard has kind of been globalized. A lot of these younger, you know, international players come over at younger ages. And so they kind of homogenized yeah. into the European style of play. Yeah. So that's why you don't see that classic personality that you might have seen years ago, because you kind of have to today fit into the system. And there's been talks about this, why we don't see Guti, why we don't see Ben Arfa, you know, the, the guys who are all either recently retired or, or edging towards the end of their careers. We don't see this type of player anymore because now we standardize what a midfielder should look like. And I think the thing with the women's game is that it's not as developed yet. And the positive side of that is that you still get players with individual traits and personalities that you're not really seeing on the men's game anymore. And so I think for Marta, who was, you know, in the Cruyffian sense, learned how to play football on the streets, taught herself how to play. That's where you see that flair, that personality that you see with like R9, how he just played in the streets a lot and didn't join a professional club until a little bit later on. And yeah. this, is, this is where you see that personality, that talent, that daring. And Arsene Wenger talked about how the top strikers in the world today, I think he said this about five years ago, the best strikers in, you know, in the game today outside of like Lewandowski the ones that are able to do problem solve and be creative and dribble, they're mostly South American. And I think yeah. it's because the standard has become such in, inside Europe. I mean, this is a long way just of saying that I think Marta was able to develop her own game and have her own personality. And yeah, I, she very well could be the last of these, but the Brazilian women's team is kind of aging pretty high. Formiga at 41, Marta at 33. Christian was also getting older, you know, and like Marta said, they won't be around forever. And the young generation hasn't come through the same way. And of yes. course, you know, politics are involved and, and everything else. But yeah, is she the you know, last you, you, one? Who knows? You know, could be. You made a good point about, you know, the fact that women's players do have to take a stand and do need to be interesting and do need to have certain elements to their personalities as well. The shame is when they do, people will still call them annoying, e.g. Megan Rapinoe, where everyone's all of a sudden she's like the most annoying human being on earth. But really, she's not. Yeah, You're just being a dick. <laughs> Megan Rapino, yeah, that yeah. I think all the criticisms of her are quite sexist because I think you have somebody like Zlatan who is way more insufferable, and people yes. are just like, "Wow, Zlatan, he's the coolest." Yeah, and yeah a lot of people find Zlatan annoying too. But you know, I I definitely think it was a certain sector of the like Twitter brigade whose Twitter profile is a picture of some <laughs> you know mediocre player at their men's football club. And, you know, would never put their face to it, you know. And yeah, there are some prominent journalists who said things as well. And these are sexist remarks. And Rapino, her personality is really good for the game.
Uh, on that note, why don't we take a break and we'll come back with the legacy section. And we're back. We're going to talk legacy. Hanny, what you got? What do I have? All right. Well, I mean, one of the things, undoubtable part of her legacy, and we've already touched on this, is she's probably the last part of the crop of incredible Brazilian players that are of a certain style. And, you know, all you need to do is type Marta football into YouTube and you'll come across some videos that just sort of show the deadliness of her movement, her speed, and most importantly, her finishing. I mean, her goal scoring record is unbelievable. 103 games for, I'm going to mess this up, but Umiya IK in, in, in Sweden, 103 games, 111 goals. And pretty much everywhere else, she averaged just about 1.5 goals per game, if not more. So that was sort of her minimum. What's her total goal scoring record? But it's close to 282 goals in just over 300 games, which is a pretty good return. And I mean, you look at her record now, she's 34 years old, playing for Orlando Pride, 23 goals in 55 matches. That's amazing. And she absolutely dominates in, in every element. She, in every season that she's been like top scorer, she's also been like top assist maker in the league. Mm. That is a huge part of her legacy. And, you know, that's why she's won the Ballon d'Or five times six, in a row. Six times. Six times. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Five times in a row, but six times total. That is the reason. And, you know, in terms of legacy, she is the greatest female footballer to ever exist, hands down. I don't think that can be debated. Yeah, five. She's been the five World Cups. Her first one was a 17-year-old. She is the all-time leading goal scorer in World Cups. Is that right? And I mean, she's she's showed up in big moments for her country. I think the only thing that really holds her legacy back, in terms of an athlete, is the fact that she hasn't won a World Cup. Which may be the case for someone like Messi as well. I'm not. I'm not sure. That's. I don't think that dictates whether you're the greatest ever. I think that's a good point. In a lot of ways. Marta has never let Brazil down, but I think Brazil has let Marta down on many occasions. And I'm not saying necessarily her team or her teammates, but the federation, you know. Absolutely. I remember a few years ago, they appointed this coach who was like a complete flop on the men's side of the game, but he had a friend in the Brazilian FA and was appointed the national team coach over somebody that the, the team and the players actually liked. And, you know, they've gone on and they've continued to play and they've continued to perform. And it's just ridiculous. Like if anybody at the Brazilian FA had actually taken the women's team seriously in the last 20 years, we might have seen a completely different reality to what we see now. I mean, there was, there was a report, there was an article I was reading on CNN today, uh, not fake news, that was from Global Esporte, which found the CBF gave out a line of credit of 3.7 billion, sorry, 3.7 million Brazilian reals to support the women's clubs during the pandemic, but gave out a hundred million Brazilian reals to just the first division of the men's league. The, the disparity in that alone is telling. There should be equality. That, that sort of disparity though is still staggering. No matter how yes. you want to argue it, I don't think you can justify that. If you want to argue that the men's side brings in more money, whatever, whatever, which is true because of the history of oppressing the women's game, still, it's got to be closer than that. I'm not saying it's got to be, you know, 100 million here, 100 million there, because it'll cost two different things to run two different divisions. I'm not going to put the commercials, I'm not going to disagree with the commercials, but that much disparity, I struggle with that. Let's discuss a little bit about her last World Cup. And so we spoke about how she kind of used her platform 
to speak out for gender equality, to speak out for you know equality in general. I want to talk a little bit about the message she sent to Brazilian young girls after the last game, how she, you know, she said there won't always be a Marta, there won't always be a Formiga and a Cristian. It's up to the next generation. The thing about Brazilian women's football is that I want to be very clear on this. It's not the players who have let the team down. It's the federation that's let the team down. It's society at large that's let the team down. And so in a sense, you know, it's interesting that she addressed this to young girls and said, you have to keep fighting, you have to keep playing, because that's, that's essentially what she's done her whole career, right? Whenever things have folded up, whenever there was probably a better avenue towards having a stable life, she's carried on, she's continued, she's fought for this. And I, you know, we're talking legacy here. Everyone will remember her goals. Everyone will remember her skill. You know, she's got her name on how many trophies. I think one of the strongest legacies she'll have is that she's used her platform to appeal to youth, to try to be an example, and to try to, to, try to overcome these obstacles that have been put in her way unjustly. I think in, you know, the way we look back on somebody like Karim Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Muhammad Ali, like when we look back on these type of figures, I think in the future we'll look back in Marta the same way, somebody whose career was not necessarily dismantled, but de- definitely disrupted numerous times by sexism in general society, by disparity between the men's and the women's game. Yeah. You Systematic know, so. failures in football. Yeah, absolutely. There it is. Um, there's a quote that was actually Marta said, she was asked, what would you like your legacy to be? You pretty much just nailed it on the head in terms of what she said. She said, I don't want them to see me as just Marta, the soccer player, the one that scored most goals in the World Cups, the one that won the best player in the world many times. I want them to see me as an athlete that made improvements in our sport. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with the Pantheon. We're back. Let's talk Pantheon. We're going to do greatest Brazilians. So where does Marta fall in the greatest Brazilians of the game? Greatest does not mean they were the best technical player. All right. Greatest means that they won. They were technically outstanding, but also won lots of things. And their legacy goes beyond the game and they'll be remembered as such. So I think that's really, really important for people when they're listening to this to understand what we're talking about. Um, When we're saying, you know, where does Marta sit? Uh, in the pantheon of greatest Brazilian players to ever exist. All right, Justin, you can lead, lead the way here because you're going to say some controversial shit. So when we talk about greatest, right, I think the thing about greatness is that trophies kind of add an, they add an additional aura. You kind of mentioned this earlier. Is Messi the greatest men's player of all time? I mean, he's probably he's the, the best. best. Probably the best. the best. Is he the greatest? That's why we do this section. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is like trophies add, add an aura. And the thing for Marta, she never won a World Cup. And we've made it very clear who we think that blame falls on. But I think in terms of like greatness, if you're, you know, your name in the stars sort of thing, whether he was the best or not, I think Pele is probably still the greatest just because of it, whether it was marketing or whatever it is around him, you know, in addition to his innate talent, his success, you know, and there's a lot of arguments against him and there should have been other players like Garincha and others who are, who are more given more credit. But I think Pele has to be number one. Three World Cups is pretty unheard of. After that, I think Marta is in with a shout, honestly. Oh, and okay. I think... Here's the thing. So Ronaldo won two World Cups, one of which he didn't play in. And then on the club level, you know, he never won a Champions League. Never even made a Champions League final. 
didn't win a lot of domestic trophies either. So he never won one with Inter. Are you showing or, him my R9 right now? No, I mean, I love R9. I mean, he's one of the most fantastic players, and he's definitely one of the best players ever. But again, we're talking about greatest here. Yeah, I know. I mean, he led Brazil to a World Cup final. He was the catalyst in the 2002 you know, World Cup, the win. He was great in 2006, and up until Klose surpassed him, he was the highest scoring at a World Cup. But Marta is the highest scorer in World Cup history. So I'm going to lay her next to Ronaldo. For me, they share the two spot. Okay, so here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going not to do a Trump and just insult you and not explain myself. So I completely agree with you. Pele, number one. I don't disagree. But I think Marta sits top five. And when I say top five, I mean in fifth. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> because I think in front of her goes Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Romario, even Ronaldinho, and then Marta, probably even sixth. If we're talking about best, you know, it's maybe a completely different conversation, but we are talking about greatest. These guys have won Champions Leagues. They've won World Cups. They've won Ballon d'Ors as well. Um, they've won Champions Leagues. How many of them have six Ballon d'Ors? None of them have six Ballon d'Ors. I rest my case. I don't know if that rests. I don't think that rests. I don't. I mean, I, I I get your point, but I don't think it puts. I don't think it puts Marta at number two. Here's the thing. Okay, Pele had a career of greatness. There are accusations that there was exaggeration. You know, he padded his goal stats and whatever. Fine. Yeah, you pad your nutmeg stats. It's fine. Absolutely not. Ronaldo career littered with injury. How long was he actually at the top? Top. Ronaldinho, top of the game for two years. Let's be honest. 2004, 2005, top of the game. After that, heavy fall. 2002, he was great. Before that, he was obviously great at, at PSG. You know, in the World Cup, he was fantastic. But top of the game, top of world football, 2004, 2005. Romario, another one of my favorite players in terms of his style, his, his attitude, his finishing, his technique. Again, how long was he at the top of the game? Marta won six Ballon d'Ors. She's been at the top of the game from 17 to 33. She's still, even carrying injury, she's still one of the top players in the world. But I think for, for Marta, she's been so consistently, not good, not amazing, at the top of the game. Like I think that the only thing that's stopping her greatness from being even better is that she plays a sport that has been overlooked, underfunded, yes. underappreciated. I think if we've given the same appreciation to the women's side of the game, if they've been given not even equal funding, but even like a fraction of the funding that the men's side of the game is, that she can make a steady career. Because here's the thing as well. The stuff that Marta has had to overcome with her clubs folding, with constantly moving. There have been times where she's made as much being the best woman footballer in the world as any average guy living in a city somewhere that's mediocre at his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she's, right. she's not making millions. Even, yeah. even through like endorsements and stuff, she's not making this money. Like they've not oh, pulled point. her in. But she's overcome more than any of these guys. She came from the same background as a lot of these guys um, in terms of, you know, growing up in, in areas that were with less privilege and things like that. She's overcome more and she sustained it for a longer level. And she's fucking dope. She's just so fucking good at, at football. <sighs> You made some really, really good points, and I hate it when you do this. I'm so, I'm so persuasive. I need a second. Can we play some holding music while I do this? 
Okay. Mind judo. I just mind judoed you. All right. Here, here's where I'm at. We'll go Pele, number one. Ronaldo's still going to stay at number two. Rivaldo and Marta will share number three. So I knocked Romario and Ronaldinho off. Ronaldinho, the... yeah, yeah, yeah. I've reconsidered, and that's that's as far as she's going to get, I think. Okay. Well, shall we call it a week? <laughs> yeah. So please tweet at us. Let us know what you think, because that was really hard. Yeah, tweet at me. This is Hani Jabber and at Justin Sahani. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, and we'll be back next week with another football personality. Yeah, and I just want to say one thing here. You know, we are two men discussing the women's game. So if there was something that, you know, we said that could be improved, if there's a point that, you know, we need to to do better on, we're, we're both learning, we're both trying to do better. So if there's something that you guys see, please feel free to share it with us. We want to do better all the time. So well said. We'll see you guys next week. Bye bye. Oh, <laughs> oh,